Have you had your soup today? And the cold, crisp taste of Coke is so satisfying, it keeps me from eating something else that might really add those pounds. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to another episode of Sheologians. My name is Summer Yeager. I'm here with my beautiful co-host, Joy. Joy, I want you to know that if I could have a fun weekend in Vegas and go on a road trip, I would choose you to do it with. That's really good and convenient. <laughs> Isn't it so convenient? If you didn't feel that way, yeah. that would stink. I know. Because it's happening. Because we're doing it <laughs> tomorrow. People are probably like, why Why would you guys go to Las Vegas? It's literally Sin City. It's horrible it's there. It's terrible there. We're going to just tell people that they're bad. <laughs> That's what we're doing. We're just showing up there to just be like, you guys are all horrible. <laughs> Do you know that this is the city of Sin this is Sin City. What are you doing here? Get out. <laughs> Leave. And then we'll just like point to the nearest <laughs> out. The nearest exit. You know where all of them are. Here's what you do. You get on this road. You turn left here. You get on the freeway. And your life You're will be better. You're out of Sin City. Everything's fine. Sin doesn't travel with you. No. Mm-mm. Anyway. I'm really excited. <laughs> Me too. Um, and you're right. I am Joy. And today mm. we're here to put the her in liar her liar <laughs> liar anyway yeah, yeah cool um and I'm also here with my beautiful co-host Summer and Summer I just love your dad Todd Friel <laughs> he's, he's, he's the, the great, best and I love that he's your dad he's the best dad anyone could have <laughs> okay so there seems to be some confusion. <laughs> About our common parentage. Wait, not that we right. have common. Well, we do have common parents. This well, if Todd weird. Friel is both of our dads, <laughs> then we have common parentage. <laughs> There's, there just appeared to be some misunderstanding. And Todd Friel is neither my nor Joy's father. No. No. Tembi happens to be my maiden name, not my married name. <laughs> right. So... Right. It never changed from Friel to no. Tembi. I did. Um, I did. He was my Sunday school teacher at one point. Oh, really? Yeah. And he's a great Sunday school teacher. That must be why they were confused. It was. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you just confuse your Sunday school teachers with your parents. Right. I mean, it happens. And then we can oh, launch into know? a whole family integrated discussion right now. Oh, I was actually going to ask you if you ever called a teacher mom. <laughs> Probably. Did you? I don't know if I did. I don't have any traumatizing memories Mm -hmm. of it, but I probably did. I have a traumatizing memory of, well, my mom is an identical twin. And when I was really little, I walked up to my aunt and started talking to her like she was my mom. And I finished whatever I was complaining about because I was a kid. So I was probably complaining about something. And she just looks at me and she goes, I'm not your mom. (laughs) 
<laughs> which is really traumatizing. And I was like, Especially I started, if yeah, you thought, yeah, she I was your mom. I definitely started crying. I was five or four. I mean, I was really You're little. Like, mom, why are you saying that? <laughs> yeah, I was like, that's the meanest thing you've ever said to me, mom. <laughs> She was like, no, I'm not your mom, really. <laughs> no, seriously. Like, for real. For real, I'm not your mother. I'm not revealing anything right now. I'm I really just, just am not your mom. I just look exactly like her. <laughs> I mean, so anyway. Yeah, that's the end of that story. <laughs> Speaking of stories. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, so we did our, um, over the, the holidays, we did our conspiracy theory episode, which was like a weird thing for us and we had so much fun with it and some people had so much fun with it (laughs) that we decided occasionally we would just have a fun episode right and we tell a story about a thing that we care about story that we care about Mm -hmm. so we both found stories that I, i mean i totally like i have people who ask me a lot what are some other what are some like edifying podcasts that you would recommend and I there are a lot of podcasts that I would recommend but not all of them are just theological right like I think that a lot of times we feel like we're wasting our time if we're not listening to something that's like just strictly a theological teaching but I'm actually really encouraged listening to like any story because right and I'm really, this sounds like, you know, we make fun of people who Jesus juke, like whatever that means. But it's like in any story that you listen to, or at least any story that I listen to, I feel like I can't get away from praising God for some aspect of it in right. terms of like you listen to this story and you see people like mine really centers a lot on like justice and what is justice. And I'm listening to this story and I'm reading about this story the first time I heard of it. And I'm just thinking, like, it's so cool and awesome and crazy how, as image bearers, like, every single person on the planet has some concept of justice and, like, a desire for it. And so <clears throat> I don't necessarily, I don't think that if you're a podcast consumer and you're a Christian, that every podcast you consume has to center on theology to edify you. I guess that's what right. I'm getting at. Like yeah. it can, and there's no problem. If all of the podcasts you listen to are theological, I'm not saying there's a problem with that. Right. I just don't feel like the question is like, it, it, can a podcast be edifying if it's not specifically covering like the Bible verse of the day? Like, yes, yeah. I say yes. But also we just wanted to have a good time. <laughs> Right, that too. I do the same thing. I listen to a lot of just storytelling mm-hmm. podcasts, and that's what I like, you know. And not they're definitely, especially because a lot of them are more secular. Yeah, there would be certain historical facts that I might not be as quick, yeah, to believe. But uh-huh. there, there are a lot of podcasts with really high production value yeah they do a lot of research mm-hmm. and it's just cool to hear someone yeah tell you a story yeah that happened um but yeah i'm going first right yeah i haven't heard your story and i'm really excited okay i feel like i'm at a show because <laughs> i get to hear you tell a story <laughs> so this this story is something that i just kind of stumbled upon mm. and had never heard about it um 
and you're just going to have to bear with me because okay it's a it's a convergence of stories i love convergences of stories it's about really dishonest people okay (laughs) so (laughs) like all of us yeah but on steroids right okay yeah got it okay so i would say the best place to start would be with our main character okay you know is this wait is this a true story? It's a true story. Okay. Ooh, even so, better. Elmir Dehori. What? Elmir Dehori. What is that a is that a full name? Yes. Elmir is the first name? Yes. How do you spell that? E L M Y R. Okay. So Elmir Dehori was born April 14th, 1906 in Budapest. Hmm. Um according to Elmir, he was born an aristocrat with an ambassador father and a mother that came from a family of bankers. Okay, so they're wealthy. Yes, um, and that his mother and father divorced when he was 16. But according to okay, Hungarian... Okay, so they're sad. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, according to Hungarian birth and marriage records, uh, Elmer Albert Hoffman was born into a middle-class Jewish family and his parents never divorced. Oh. Elmer... Elmir, Elmir. I'm just going to refer to him as Elmir Dahori because that's... The name he goes by. Yes. Okay. Um, He would admit that he's prone to not always being incredibly honest, uh, which makes sense because he is one of the most notorious art forgers of all time. Mm. (laughs) Mm. Are you going to tell us what he forged? Yes. Yes. Okay. And... The story's not just about him. Okay. More players are going to come in. Ooh. It's really, it's really, really weird how this all happened. Sleuthing. Um, so there's a lot of facts on him. A lot of information that we know about him is not reliable because he said it. Right. And in the context of this specific interview, the main big interview he's done, he said that he <laughs> is prone to not being honest. Okay. So, so, um, so he's an honest liar. Yeah. Okay. Um, basically, he so his parents didn't get divorced when he was sixteen, but when he was sixteen, he did um, start his art education. Um, he was educated in Romania, Germany, and France, um, and then, according to Elmir, he spent some time in prison in the Carpathian Mountains for being friends with a spy slash journalist. Did you just say this was according to him? Yes. Okay. <laughs> it's interesting, so it has to be fake. Well, and he was also... Well, and so the thing is, too, so it's an interesting period of time. This might. This is also another fact that we don't know. We don't know the authenticity of this information, but this will give you sort of a scope on the time period that this is, was taking place in because he said that once he was released from the Carpathian Mountain prison... Um, he was in prison at a German concentration camp. In in World War Two. Yes. He claims to... Okay. So because his a, family was actually Jewish. Right, yeah. So okay. he's Jewish. Okay. Um, Does he... Why was he in jail? Because he was like... Lying. Consorting with a spy. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Um, it was just considered... See, and that's the other thing is you'll you'll hear me say multiple... There's a few times in here where he gets questioned about something or he gets in trouble for something that's not art forgery. Okay. And you're like, wait, what was this guy into? <laughs> okay. And we just don't know because okay. the only the only stuff we actually know is stuff that's on record. Right. And a lot of stuff we know was stuff that he said that was just totally made up. 
But so he said that he was in prison in a German concentration camp. And at one point he was so severely beaten that he was sent to Berlin prison hospital and escaped. So when he uh, returned to Hungary, uh, both of his, he found that both of his parents were killed and the estate was destroyed. But Mm. records show that his family were Holocaust survivors. Wow. Um, So after the war, uh, he returned to Paris to make a living as an artist. But the style that he painted in wasn't really the style of the day. So he didn't find a lot of success in that. Um, But one day he made an ink and pen Picasso drawing and sold it to a lady and told her it was a Picasso (gasps) and she bought it. No. (laughs) So he traveled around Paris doing the same thing, just yeah, making art yeah, and selling it and selling it and saying that uh, you know it was real. And he would also say so, like a part of his story was that he was um, he was displaced by the war, and this was the last of his aristocratic heritage. So he had nothing except for these. Very rare paintings <laughs> that he had managed to smuggle out of the estate oh, man. and uh, was selling them to make money. Um, and so eventually he went from traveling around Paris doing that to traveling around Europe. I think at one point he was in Brazil um, and then he came to the United States and started forging here. He he forged Picasso, Matisse, Renoir. So he had to have had some talent. Um, oh, yes. He was. And that's the thing. He was talented, but not he. And he still would continue to do his own paintings. Right. But they just never fetched the same as selling a Picasso. Sure. <laughs> so. So and he what you'll what you'll come to find is that he is just he's very much in this. Sort of lifestyle where all he he just looks for pleasure and so it's all about food and drink and experience and uh, you know all that stuff and so um he's not like he essentially he's not content just selling his art he needs to it's not just that he likes that the fake paintings make him more money it's that he needs them so that he can live this way right he wants to live right um so he was selling in the U.S. under a pseudonym to museums like the Fog Art Museum at Harvard University. Wow. And so actually the the Fog Art Museum was the museum that kind of caught him first. Yeah. So they had purchased several paintings from him by different painters. Mm-hmm. And then someone noticed like a stylistic similarity right. in them. And so that kind of like some... That was like a red flag. I wish I was that kind of person. I whoever that person was, right, who was able to like recognize right. the stylistic similarity and like have a red flag go that off. Harvard ex- art expert. Like that's so. <laughs> like what an incredible skill. Right. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So she, uh, this woman who noticed it, alerted a bunch of the major museums in the art community and said, "Look out for this." Insert pseudonym here. So. Uh, Dehori responded by selling more forgeries just under different pseudonyms. And this time he started selling more through the mail. Mm. Um, 
Uh, so there were a few more close calls, like sort of litigious type things. People who would buy, not necessarily museums, but dealers who would buy from him and then he would attempt, they would attempt to sue him and things like that. So he ended up in Mexico City um, where he got caught up in a murder investigation. Hmm. There was a, it's, it wasn't that he was the person who had killed anyone, is that he was like in association with it. No way. This guy was associated with something right. sketchy. He's a saint. Why would you think that? Stop it. Um, and so the Mexican police attempted to extort money from him, and I believe they did. And then his lawyer did the same thing. Stop it. <laughs> so um, because of that, he definitely came back to the U.S. Um, He's but like, I he, have an easier time being sketchy in the United States. Right, right. <laughs> but so he he was upset when he returned to the U.S. because he found he saw that his counterfeits were selling for a lot more than he had sold them for. <gasps> but also because of that, um, he had earned himself a place on someone as a person of interest that the FBI wanted to talk to. <laughs> So he, which he did not like at all, because I explained his whole love for these experiences and living this certain way, he had to live under the radar in mm. Los Angeles. He lived in a crappy apartment, and mm. he would paint, like, little stock photos mm -hmm. for, like, pictures just of random little things for people who were staging homes and yeah. things like that. Just not at all how not he wanted he to wanted. live. Yeah. Right. So he was unhappy and eventually returned to forging, um, this time he um, was involved with a business partner, air quotes, Fernand Legros, who was definitely a known criminal. I'm not going to get into it, but like lots of stuff. So the, the idea was that Dahori would paint forgeries and then Legros would sell them and take 40% of the profits, mm. in a, which... He, I guess he was like kind of a skeezy guy. So he was definitely taking more than 40%. He was really cheating a cheater, if that makes right. sense. Yeah, yeah, Um, But so because Dohori was, he was making a lot more forgeries and they were circulating a lot more just because he had, he didn't have, Dohori didn't have to assume any risk because somebody else was selling them for him. Um and it be, the market became so flooded that he eventually got on Interpol's radar. So he basically spent several years of his life just running around from place to place, living somewhere for a year so that he couldn't be caught. Right. Um, and then, as you can expect, he really got tired of that. Yeah. He didn't want to live this substandard life that wasn't full of all the greatest most rich, expensive things. You mean a life of running from your sin is exhausting? <laughs> no, 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 right. no, no. Right. So he um, he went to turn himself in, and he one of the he to Ibiza. Ibiza is that how you say it? Yeah. Okay, that's, that's how the song says it. Yeah. Oh. Okay. <laughs> um, moving along. So that was one of the places where he was wanted. Right. Um. So he went there. He loved it there, I guess. Okay. That was the place that he, he wanted loved to be and ended up living and all this stuff. Jail me in Ibiza, guys. Right. Okay. So he only received two months in prison, though. What? For various other crimes. What um, other various crimes? Well, so here's the interesting thing, and in that you can add this to his list of debauchery and really sad 
things, uh-huh. but he was homosexual. Uh-huh. So at the time, that was illegal. In Ibiza. Yeah. And uh-huh. so they um, imprisoned him for that. Did, did, wait, wait. Did he turn himself in for being gay? No. Oh. He did not. Okay. But the thing is, is that a forgery isn't a forgery until a signature is forged. What? Yeah. So you can, you can, for, I mean, basically since painting has been a thing, apprenticeships have been a thing. Yeah. And so the, the artist would teach the apprentice to paint in their style and it would be considered a tribute. And then they, the apprentice would sign their own name. Um, so it's not, it's not a crime and it's not a forgery. Unless paint, you sign it, it. Unless you sign it as the person no that you're not. Um, and that's very hard to prove right. that someone has done that. You right. would have to literally see them or have witnesses seeing them right. sign it. Yeah. Um, and so he served those two months and he basically, he became a celebrity. What? And he sold his own paintings for the first time and then he gave interviews. So one of the interviews that he gave was a huge interview for a biography written by Clifford Irving. Hmm. Um, and it was to be called fake exclamation point. No. And so it was all about him forging paintings and all this stuff and right. his life and and everything. So um, in the meantime, this is where all the stories start to come together. So the, you're just going to have to Wait. bear with me okay. as I... Like scroll through my notes because I didn't know how to orient these things on an actual timeline. Wait, I have a question. Okay, is fake a book you can read? Yes, you can read it's fake. Po- it's published book. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Fake exclamation point. Okay. Clifford Irving. <laughs> okay. Um, so while there, while Clifford Irving was doing the necessary interviews to write this biography of Dahori, a film director named uh, Francois Reinbach filmed Good their job. interactions and was going to make a documentary about the writing of the book. Right. Okay. Um, and like the relationship between biographer and the person that it's about, all right. this kind of stuff. Right. And so that footage was given to Orson Welles to edit. Oh, no big deal. Yeah. Right. Okay. Not a big thing. Yeah. Orson Welles, whatever. So um, Welles was editing this film and it was discovered that Clifford Irving wrote a fake book. What? Yes. <laughs> he wrote a book that wasn't true at all about Howard Hughes. <laughs> yes. Okay. I know. Okay, I'm just going to sit back. Okay. <laughs> I know. Okay. So, and it, he's in the middle of editing this thing and it's suddenly coming out and Clifford Irving is being investigated. Because Clifford, fake book. because Clifford wrote a book about Howard Hughes that was not true. It was not true. At it all. was entirely made up. Did right. he say it was true? Oh yes, he did. And when they were when they when he started making when Francois Reinbach made this movie, nobody knew yet. It was only when so Wells was in the middle of editing this movie about biographer and subject, mm-hmm. and it came out. And, and the subject happened to be a, a forger. And then it came out that the biographer was also a, a forger. forger. Yes. Okay. So he wrote a, a fake biography about Howard Hughes. Um, and it was completely fabricated. Um, and him and his partner who helped him write it, they just thought because at that point, Howard Hughes had 
just like completely withdrawn from the public that he would never come out of isolation and say that's not true um so when he created the book he had someone forge letters as though they were penned by howard hughes um he made up correspondence between himself and hughes and then uh, howard hughes signature was forged on the book contract so clifford irving Irving um, got a $100,000 advance for the book, and then $400,000 was to be paid to Howard Hughes. And he eventually convinced the publisher to instead pay Hughes $765,000. So he talked him up, and that's about, just so you know, that's about $4.7 million Today. in today's dollars. <laughs> um, so he well, said... Why, though? Howard Hughes didn't need $4.7 million. Well, so here's why. Okay, sorry. So please pay him that money, you know, however you need to, and have the checks made out to H.R. Hughes, which were deposited by Irving's wife into a Swiss bank account, which she had opened under the name Helga R. Hughes. Stop it. Okay. So the authenticity of that autobiography was questioned and the documents were investigated and handwriting analyzers were like, it's fine. It's Howard Hughes. No. And then those who were close to Hughes, like one of the last uh, journalists that ever interviewed him before he withdrew, uh, claimed he like he at first he questioned the book and then he read it and he was like, no, this seems legit. And then Irving passed air quotes, a lie detector test. It indicate there were inconsistencies, but it didn't indicate any lies. So he's a psychopath. Could be. <laughs> um and so eventually the real Howard Hughes arranged a telephone conference and he said he had never even met Irving. No. Yeah. Stop it. Yeah. Did he get all that money? The- he had to return it. Oh, good. But he did, yes. But he had to return it. And his wife got in trouble as well. Well, yeah. But yeah, so he was outed. He pled guilty and he spent 17 months in jail. Wow. Yeah. Can you read that book? Yes, you can. Stop it's it. Been, it's been republished as hoax. It's called Hoax by Clifford Irving. Okay, so so far we have fake exclamation point <laughs> and hoax by Clifford Irving. Right. Okay, so now we have um, Orson Welles. Yeah, so he So was... the movie's not over. Right, It's okay. not being finished. At, it's not, you know, he's working on it and he finds out that there's much more to the story here. Right. So Orson Welles decides to turn it into a documentary called F for Fake. Okay. Um, and it's kind of like a film essay in a way. Okay. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so he took the documentary, he incorporated other stories, um, and mostly it's it's kind of about like the the theme of it, I would say, is really just talking about the interesting implications of intellectual and creative property okay. and how people or how that stuff is distributed. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really, it becomes like an examination. But what's funny is that he essentially stole the footage from a documentary about a biographer and a subject right. to create this other thing. Right. Which is also just... 
It's all fake. Right. It's all fake. And he like, so, I mean, it's a, it's a really weird documentary. I watched it. Um, and it's just all about knowing what you know. Um, it's all about the idea that if you think something's real, is it not real? Right. Or does a forgery really happen the moment you sign the wrong person's name? Right. You know? Right. Um, and it ends basically, the the this film essay is about an hour and 17 minutes long. And at the beginning of it, it says, everything that you see is based off of the, like for the next hour, it's based off of the available facts. Wow. And so the last 17 minutes of the film, Orson Welles tells a story and then he goes, I'm lying because <gasps> it's been longer than an hour. So for the last 17 minutes of it, he just tells a story that's not even true. <gasps> Stop. And then he apologizes. <laughs> but he makes like, he makes all these connections. It is, it's very interesting. It's very like artsy. So I don't know if like just anyone could handle it. But he talks about, um, you know, the radio broadcast of War of the Worlds and how people were duped by it. Right. He even talks about how Citizen Kane was originally meant to be sort of like a biopic of Howard Hughes. Right. Well, I knew which that. Which he didn't even know the connection. Right. Before. Right. So, like, it's just, I just thought it was super interesting the way that all of these things Stop. tied together. Also, there's one other little thing um, where we get a lot of our legitimate information was a book written by Elmir's friend and bodyguard. Mm. And his name is Mark Forgy. No! <laughs> I just thought that was a funny little addition. Okay. It might be pronounced Forgy, but I'm seeing Forgy. Forgy. <laughs> um, so I'm not making this up. <clears throat> I was telling my husband, I was like, I can't pick a story. Like I had such a hard time picking one. There's so many stories I want to tell. I can't pick a story. And you know what he said? What? Make one up. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that was his, he was right. like, tell an interesting story and make it up. Right. And see if it, you can make up a believable story. Right. And it's just yeah, really funny that your story is about. It's just almost completely made up. Yeah. Like we don't even know what's real. Right. From it. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, so Mark Forgy, Forgy, he was the one that went and found like all the documented evidence of his life. Wow. Um, but yeah, it's it's just a the weirdest series of events. I had no idea that any of this was even a I know. thing. I didn't know either. That's so crazy. Yeah. Wow. Well, I have a story that I did not make up. I didn't. No, it no, no. Sounds like a thing that someone is making up a story would say. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't you won't know the the funny thing is is that in this story the most important fact is made up so it's just interesting that we kind of so we both picked landed liars. on liars <laughs> <laughs> well i had heard about this woman and i just thought she was so interesting and i started reading articles on her and then one of my favorite podcasts reply all did a show that is it's not about her but she was she's a major player in this i love reply all i love reply all um and so i basically was able to kind of put these pieces together about this woman through 
Reply All and some other articles online. But anyway, so uh, my my story is about Michelle Gomez, who is a four foot eleven. She is the four foot eleven, one hundred pound, uh, probably the best bounty hunter in the world. How? I'm gonna tell you how. Like. She's the best. Yep. So she well, doesn't. Actually, I would assume that if you're tiny, uh-huh. people would mm-hmm. have a different way with you. You know, like. Well, so she, yeah. But this girl, this woman, sorry, she's tough. She's, tough. she's incredibly smart, uh, and Wired, you know, says that you know she just so she doesn't look like the sort of person that you would hire um, to retrieve, which is perfect, right? Um, retrieve, you know, earth-moving equipment stolen by Peruvian crime families. But she has found con men that the FBI couldn't. She has found stolen oil tankers, stolen yachts, um, stolen Arabian stallions. Basically, so I don't her, even know how you do that. I know. So her I'm specialty. Like, Where is that <laughs> stallion? <laughs> Her story is so interesting, and her specialty is hard to locate recoveries. So, if you are the FBI right. or a government official, and, and you you're can't, looking for Elmir Dahori, <laughs> and you're looking for Elmir, it would have been great if Michelle Gomez was around back then, right? Because she would have found him. She would have found him, and she would have been able to document everything and whatever. So, uh, Michelle Gomez, this is a really interesting story. Um, Michelle Gomez was the our our four foot 11, 100 pound Michelle Gomez bounty hunter uh, was hired by Maria Espinoza. And Maria Espinoza is the spearhead of something called the Remembrance Project. Um, and I'll tell you what that is later. But she she's from the Remembrance Project. She hired Michelle to look into the case of Luis Rodriguez. Luis, Luis Rodriguez killed a man in October of, 11, October of 2011 at 7.32 p.m. Chris story chris is a female by the way just (laughs) chris chris story and her brother joe story are in their truck crossing this intersection when this uh chevy blows through a red light and ends up like right in front of them and chris and her brother joe they t-bone the drunk driver that ran the red light and joe chris's brother dies right on the scene. I mean, oh. it was like their truck flipped. Like it was really, int- it was horrible, horrible, horrible. And uh, Chris and the drunk driver, um, Luis Rodriguez, they end up in the hospital. When Luis wakes up from the hospital, he pieces out. Like he's mm. gone. Um, thankfully he's caught. And for some reason, the judge lowers his bail. So after he gets arrested for drunk driving. He kills a guy from drunk driving. He tries to run. Right. He's a flight risk. Yes, obviously. He's obviously a flight risk. Um, for some reason, the judge lowers bail and his bail gets paid. And um, as he's actually, as he's leaving the courthouse somehow, um, Chris and she, Chris tells this story on reply all. She approaches him as he's leaving. And she says, I want you to know what kind of man you took from my family. He has three sons. I can't talk to my brother. I can't pick up a phone and call him because of you. And he turned around and he looked at her and he said, talk to my attorney. 
and she mm. never sees him again. So after this, her life begins to just spiral. I guess like her friends say she, she just spent years just like traveling all over, like looking for this guy in any way available, um, which is when Maria Espinoza comes in. So the remember the Maria Espinoza spearheads the Remembrance Project, which is a nonprofit that started in 2009. They say that their goal is to educate and raise awareness of the tragic and preventable killings of Americans by illegal aliens and to provide crisis intervention to victims' families as needed. That's their self-statement. Okay. So... Chris' story basically felt that her brother's death had like dropped off the radar because the authorities couldn't find the guy anyway. He's undocumented. Right. He doesn't technically exist in this country um, in a way that's traceable by paper. Yeah. And so there was no way to track him. So the Remembrance Project somehow got wind of Chris's story. And that's when the Remembrance Project hired the bounty hunter, Michelle Gomez. Mm-hmm. Um. So basically, that's when Michelle Gomez goes to work. And so this is when um, the uh, the journalist over at Reply All, Sruthi, I can't say her name. Sruthi. <laughs> this is when she catches up with Michelle Gomez. Okay. And she is she reports all of this firsthand. And it's really cool. Um, and when she she basically joins Michelle and just watches how she works. And it's really cool because Michelle is this tiny little Latino and she's just like sitting in front of her computer with her chihuahua in her lap and she doesn't eat, sleep, drink like when she's working on a project and she just spends time on her computer just doing like tedious, repetitive work. And it's amazing like what she just knows. So like she's pouring over this monotonous work. She's filling all this stuff out and she basically tells uh, she tells Ruthie, she's like, I'm going to find his shelter. And so a shelter um, is, as she explains it, is basically where someone who doesn't have documentation, they have to live under their shelter, meaning that like this is the person who has that they know that they trust who has the right papers and who does those things for them. Um, so like if you don't have you know, if you're undocumented, you don't have papers, you aren't going to be able to rent a house or lease a car or all these things. So they basically, the shelter is like their proxy. They do it for them. Um, so she starts by tracking down, um, the car. So they have the police report of what happened to Chris story's brother and they know what kind of car it was and they have, they are able to find out who it's registered to. So she gets the name of, the person who the car was registered to but unfortunately that leads her to all kind of kinds of like a whole list of different social security numbers right. which is when she tells uh Sruthi that this is a sign that whoever the car was registered to couldn't be Luis's shelter because uh, she said when i see so many addresses like that it gives me a flag that they've been evicted or they're constantly moving so they can avoid being captured and since a shelter has to have it together and right. Like look right on paper they be doing that. that can't be the shelter so they find someone else who's related to the person that the car was registered oh, okay. to and this person only has one social and looks legit on paper so 
This person has two house payments, a car, very importantly, one social security number. Yes. It's all a good sign. So they start to investigate this lady whose name is Bianca. So Michelle just then, again, she's just spending hours and hours like filling out forms and just digging and digging. And she just like knows where to look for this stuff. She has access to parts of the internet that we just don't. Um, And basically she wants to prove, she wants to find Bianca's real phone number and address. And eventually she does. And she, well, she thinks that she's found Bianca. So she lists the in help of a bounty hunter that she knows that's local to where she thinks Bianca lives. And he's like this giant old 60 year old, like, I don't remember if he was a vet or not, but he was described okay. as like kind of the person where you'd like you'd look at him and you'd be like, he has been to war. Right. He's, <laughs> kind of person. He's like from you, the military. You don't want to cross him. Right. I'm nervous. Um, and Michelle <laughs> basically she calls him up and she fills him in. And she's like, hey, I'm coming to North Carolina to meet Bianca and Luis. And this is what I need you to do. And you're coming with me. And so they get on a plane and they go to North Carolina. And Sruthi from Reply All goes with them. Oh, my gosh. How cool. And they stake out Bianca's house. (laughs) And they're driving by in like a big black SUV. And they're taking pictures. And they're doing the whole thing. And the whole deal. And so at one point, it's like 10 o'clock at night. Or it's late at night or something like that. And they're staking out the house. And um, Michelle just puts on this like badge she has like some texas it's not like a police badge i don't remember how they described it exactly but she has a badge where like her job is like legally recognized right you know what i mean like it's a real if you're you're a bounty hunter you do have clearance to bounty hunt like (laughs) restrain a person and put them in your car right and like you can serve a warrant. It's not exactly like that. But right. essentially you can demand someone come with you. Right. So she for, uh, just gets out of the car and has her badge and just goes up to the door and starts to, and knocks on the door. Oh. And this lady comes to the door and there's an exchange. And basically by the end of it, the lady is like, OK, well, you know what? Just come inside and I'll show you my papers. So they all go inside. And so basically what happens is all of the members of the family in the house, they're all like, they just, they're all like, let's, we'll show you. And they produce their papers. And so um, Michelle's like looking through their papers. Everything's looking legit. And then um, this kid comes in and his name is, his name is Thomas, which matches the name of the car that, that Luis was driving. And, We'll come to find out he's got his papers and essentially Michelle's new theory is is that, you know, Thomas's identity has probably been stolen. And so um, the like the original Thomas that she was looking for, like Luis's friend, like he probably stole this kid's identity. And that's how they ended up in this house in the first place. And so (laughs) Michelle, you know, like in this crazy moment where she's like barged into these people's houses and essentially accused them of being here illegally uh, and all this other stuff. Like she just immediately starts like giving the kids security advice and she's like, okay, so this is what you need to do. And she like gives them a list, like all the things that he needs to do um, to protect his identity. And the whole family is just like loving it. Like they're so thankful to her. (sighs) They're like, this is so amazing. Like, 
they're just they're all into it and they're like so thankful and they keep thanking her like because they feel like well she just protected them essentially right. from you know this kid's identity was being stolen um and the uh the reporter said that when they were leaving all the family wanted to take a picture with her i mean that's how thankful they were right. yeah you know and it's just crazy cuz it's like the rest of us this woman spent you know, I don't know how many hours, but hours and hours and hours of work mm-hmm. to get to this spot only to find out that it's not anything. It's a dead end. And instead of being like, which has got to be a huge part of that job. Right. Right. And clearly she'd experienced it many times yeah. because instead of being like morose and disappointed and all these other things, she just immediately helps his family pieces out and follows a new lead. And so her new lead is this guy named Tony and He's an actual friend of Luis. And for some reason, when she contacts Tony, um, Tony is willing to help, even okay. though he's Luis's friend. Right. Um, and eventually, you f- so she talks to Tony, and you find out that Tony is actually the guy that paid Luis's bail. So oh, Luis's wow. bail, the judge had only set at $7,500. And oh. for some reason, Tony paid it. I wasn't able to find out why. Because by the time Michelle talked to Tony, Tony was pretty mad at Luis, um, which is probably why he was willing to help her. <laughs> right. So something happened in between him paying the bail. And- yes. Yes. Because this is years later. This right. is years down the road. Um, and so anyway, that's how through Michelle talking to Tony, that's how you find out that Luis is actually on the run from some really bad guys back home. So he's from Honduras. And you find out that he's on the run from like this not- potentially a very notorious group of very bad people in Honduras. And um, they killed his mother in front of him. Oh my gosh. And he had actually been like attacked with, um, I think they said a machete, and he's just in bad shape. And he is on the run. And that's why he came here, like to escape because. Right. Um, they wanted to kill him very yeah. obviously. Um, and so Tony shares that. And then also Tony is like, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that he picked up, he has a wife and he has a daughter and I'm pretty sure that they picked up and disappeared. And I don't know where he is. Um, so basically Michelle is saying because Luis is afraid of what would happen if he was returned to Honduras that the U.S. probably wouldn't extradite him. Like, we're not going to just send him back to Honduras. So there's no reason really for him to be running from the U.S. government, too, except that he doesn't want to pay for the life that he took. Right. Um, And so Michelle then goes on to track down Luis's wife, um, and she manages to find out that Luis's wife is living in Tennessee. And so I actually want to. Um, but not with Luis. That's never confirmed. Okay. All she can confirm. Is that the wife is living in Tennessee. Is that the wife is living okay. in Tennessee. Because the it doesn't seem that the wife is. The wife's documented. Okay. Which is confusing. Right. It's weird. Um, so what was really interesting to me. Because I listened. Um, I listened to Michelle this morning on Reply All. And she was like really emotional when she found out that Luis was on the run and it was afraid for his life. Like she's, you know, she's like choking up and she's emotional about it. 
And, you know, she's saying it's emotional because he's had a rough life and we all go through things. But um, sh- her stance was, she said, he needs to pay for his crime, for the accident, for the closure of this story and the family. He needs to face, you know, the justice system in terms and grow from that. He's been running all his life. There's always a day where you can start over and repair it. And that day, the day I confront him is the day he's going to start because I'm going to sit with him as a friend. He's going to be able to, you know, he's probably going to rest because usually they they tell me, I'm glad you found me. Now I can rest. Right. Yeah, you're going to be sleeping in jail, you know, and that's the good part. And I'm probably going to make another friend. I really am. I really do believe it. I'll probably have a photo album with him. So I just, that was really interesting to me. I'll circle back to that later, but... So a weird, a weird thing happens at this point. So Tony gives us gives Michelle information that helps her understand why Luis is on the run, why Luis is in America in the first place, why Luis is undocumented, and then she finds the wife and she's like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna find him, um, but I want to find him and I want to bring him to justice. I don't want him to be returned to Honduras." Right. So anyway, at this point, remember that. Michelle was hired by Maria Espinoza, the leader of the Remembrance Project. Mm -hmm. But at this point, for some reason, the Remembrance Project, they pretty much drop the search. Like, they just don't seem to care all of a sudden. Okay. Like, there was kind of this feeling of, like, go, go, go. We're going to get this done at the beginning. And, like, then it just, like, starts to fizzle out. And the journalist following the story was confused. She was having um, a hard time getting through on the phone to Maria Espinoza, things just felt like really different. And, um, you know, they went from like these crazy stakeouts with barging into houses right. to like almost radio silence. Um, and then Michelle had something in her family come up. And so it just kind of fizzled, but Michelle wasn't done. She kept working um, despite what she had going on in her family. And she eventually figured out that Luis is now in Spain. Oh, wow. Um, And so uh, Michelle said, I want to be a part of this agenda. Like, you cannot come to the United States and just break the law. You will be punished. And we're going to make Luis Rodriguez an example of what's going to happen to you if your case comes in my hands. I want to be part of something good that says, you know what? Mr. Trump is trying to do something. I still don't know all of his agenda because it changes all the time and he's careless with his statements, but there's something we have to fight for. And that's justice for Mr. Joe's story. He didn't deserve to die that day. So she's just sold out for making this happen. Right. I can't confirm whether or not like she was still like, Maria, the Remembrance Project, I don't know if they're still involved. She, for some reason, Michelle took this case pro bono. Okay. Um, she was just willing to do it. And I think what she said in there explains why. Like, even though right. she was crying when she was talking to Sruthi um, about she doesn't want him to go back to Honduras. And she right. she feels for, she feels for right. him. Um, for her, it was about justice and it was about... Right. It couldn't erase... What he had done what to Joe. Done. Yeah. Right. So Sruthi goes on and does some digging and finds out that Luis Rodriguez is not undocumented. Oh my gosh. Luis Rodriguez had a, and these are Sruthi's words, 
a temporary protected status. It's not asylum. It's a little different. It's a temporary thing that the U.S. offers to citizens of certain countries that have experienced disaster, like an earthquake in Haiti, civil war in El Salvador, Hurricane Mitch in Honduras. Like, it doesn't matter how you entered the U.S. legally or illegally. Once you're here, you can apply for this temporary protected status and you'd be allowed to live and work there. So the central fact of this entire story was wrong. He was not undocumented. And so um, a lot of reporters feel that the reason the Remembrance Project didn't care about Luis Rodriguez anymore was that their whole thing was about chasing down people right. who have committed crimes who are undocumented. Right. Um, but he was documented. And we don't have any answers as to why, like, it was believed that he was undocumented in the first place. Right. Um, and so it was, just, it's, Michelle still wants to find him and bring him to justice. She wasn't doing this for the money in the first place. Right. Um, and so then Sruthi, uh, after she finds this out, that he's not undocumented, that this whole kind of thing with, you know, Chris' story was on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was during Trump's run, was on okay. TV with a group of people who had lost family members to violent crimes committed by, um, not just violent crimes, but crimes essentially where their family members were killed due to uh, somebody who wasn't documented and therefore couldn't be found. Right. And so this became like a really big political thing for a while. Yeah. Um, and so Chris was on TV and all this stuff. But then like when I think basically it seems to me from like different things I've read that basically once once these groups who were kind of trying to leverage that discovered that he had some kind of documentation like nobody really cared anymore right but michelle still cares right like (laughs) i don't know if she's gotten on a plane to spain or not yet (laughs) um but she wants to go and she wants to wow get him and so um sruthi the journalist that covered this she called chris story um and told chris that luis wasn't undocumented and I think I'd be nervous to deliver that news too oh, yeah. because it's been years and years of well, and this whole investigation's been operating on that assumption, off, right, yeah. right? Your whole life for years at this point, Chris was like consumed with this for right. years. Um, and Chris said it really doesn't matter. This guy killed my brother and did not even stick around to apologize. That is the point of the story. What else did you need to know? Right. So anyway, that's my Michelle Gomez story. I almost told the story of when she located this missing yacht, which is just like really fascinating. Like when I read that one, I was like, what in the world? But I just think it's so fascinating that like she is literally the most successful person in her field. She doesn't right. look like what you'd think right. the most successful person in her field would be. You know what I mean? Like you wouldn't walk by her on the street and be and like, think, oh, like, hey, wow, look, she's super tough. Yeah. And goes after the yeah. criminals. Yeah. You guys got to go online and find a picture of her, Michelle Gomez, because she's just this. She's adorable and she's <laughs> tiny and she's brilliant. And I want to look at it right now. Yeah. Look at it right now. Um. Also, how do you 
steal a yacht and how does a yacht go missing and how much money do you have to have to just be missing a yacht you know that's gonna have to be a story for another episode <laughs> it's really fascinating how she does it i love that they think they, they say about her that she is she specializes in hard to locate recoveries right. that like there are things she's found that the fbi hasn't been able to find and yeah. it's just so interesting i love that's it That's crazy yeah oh yeah look at her isn't she cute uh-huh. she's so cute you gotta look at her like so smart and she just does it all with her chihuahua <laughs> and no food or sleep or coffee apparently <laughs> oh wow i don't know how she does that i know that's probably the most amazing thing about all that <laughs> about life <laughs> food and sleep and coffee <laughs> that would be so interesting what so what we discovered is that we both want to be tiny little bounty hunters <laughs> or we want to be the one lady that noticed the yes. stylistic similarities in yes. art forgery yeah i would love that right. just to have that i mean i have zero to eyes just be for specialized in an area basically. yeah I mean, do I have a specialty at this point? I don't even know. I've never been like a specialty type uh-uh. person. I've always been fairly good at quite like a lot of things yeah, as yeah, opposed yeah. to really, really good at a few things. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't know how yeah. that even feels. I don't either. But that's cool. And I've never uh, forged a painting. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I don't have anything else. Do you have anything else for them? I don't. I don't. Um, there was a question I was going to ask you, but oh. I forgot what it was. Sorry. You have to write things down. I know. I'm trying to I become... I was just so enthralled with the story. I was like, what's going to happen? Yeah. And I guess so at some point, if something happens with that case... Mm-hmm. I'm going to follow it. Right. Like, for sure, for sure. I want to know what happens, and I hope that there's some kind of update at some point. Right. And I'm going to keep following Michelle Gomez. Yeah. Like you can follow her on Twitter and she's out there just doing right. awesome things. Yeah. That's, you know. She's going to get yeah. justice. Yeah. There wasn't really justice at the end of my story either. No. There was a, um, the France sent an extradition order to Ibiza and did they, they didn't. And they were going to turn oh. him over. Did they? And so he committed suicide. <gasps> what? Yeah. Oh, no wonder you left it's that just, part out. Yeah. I mean, it was just like there was a point I messaged Summer last night where I was like, is my story, I wonder if my story is going to be too sad because it's super interesting. But the more, really what's super interesting about it is the fact that all these fakers came together and did just made like, the largest proximity fake thing of all right. time. <clears throat> but as I was as I was doing the bulk of my research on yeah. Elmir Dahori, yeah, I was really just like, I feel like he was really unhappy a lot of his life, yeah. and it just made me feel bad for him. Yeah. But, you know. That is really depressing. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me something happy. Um, His forgeries sold for a collective $50 million. Oh! Yeah. That's, That's interesting. Crazy. Don't you think, like, what does that say about art that... <laughs> Oh no, that's a whole other episode. That, seriously. Oh my. That someone could right. Someone could be rejected for their right. own talent and then paint Still as makes someone 50 else. Still make million dollars right. worth of art. Right. That's crazy. Yeah. I'll tell you a happy thing. Okay. So a really happy thing that happened to me was that um the car I drove here 
like when you if a oh yeah <laughs> it's really cool um and you'll get to be in it mm-hmm. uh they gave me a free upgrade because they love me at enterprise <laughs> and i'm trying i was trying to figure out like why do you guys love me so much other than i'm like a really consistent customer right. like every two weeks like clockwork right i guess like <clears throat> people who people treat their rental cars terribly like oh, really? they, they started telling me stories of like people who have lived out of their rental cars rats they've gotten in their rental cars bloodstains from murder investigations i mean they're listing all of these very normal things that happen to them like on a weekly basis and so the lady was like um so that's why we like you what car do you want Because you return the car clean. I return the car and, and it's there's clean. No Sometimes people just don't return their car. Right. They'll just park it somewhere and never talk yeah. to Enterprise again. Isn't that crazy? That's insane just because. You're how? a thief. How? I know. It well, goes like, completely they over have my head. All your information. All so of, you can't. I know. You can't really get away. I know. Who can afford. The what? same person who's missing a yacht can just afford to leave their <laughs> rental car somewhere random. I know. And just be like, pick it up if you want it. I know. So the best news ever. I am not crazy about this car. It's a Fiat and it's just like so foreign. Right. And foreign things are happening. And the parking brake is like a weird button in the center console. <laughs> not even. And anyway. But the really great thing about it is that when a car is in your blind, passes you. Oh, it'll do the little it, and it, beep beep. It like, yeah, when it's in your blind spot, it, the rear side oh, mirror lights light, up. The indicator light, yeah. And if you try, if you turn on your blinker while a car is there, it beeps at you. Yeah. And so like my thing is I don't think anybody, I think not a single person in the world other than myself knows about their blind spot. Like that's how I drive. <laughs> okay. I just assume that if I'm in your blind spot, you don't you, see right. me. Like, I tend to do that too. That's yeah. how I operate. And so I'm just driving here, like having the most communistic thoughts of all time because I'm like every car should have to have these lights, which is just really untrue and not does not operate under my worldview whatsoever. But I'm just thinking like <laughs> how what a great invention. Right. Like you you're the if a car's in your blind spot, it blinks you at you. Know. Yeah. It's so great. It won't let you do it. No. And so I'm driving and I'm like in somebody's blind spot and I'm like, you know what this person's car isn't doing right now? It isn't telling them that I'm here. <laughs> like I can't well, handle it. If it's a newer, nicer car, it is. Maybe. And that's why they're not getting over. Maybe. But anyway, maybe. I just think that that's great and all cars should have it. And and I'm sorry that that's not very consistent with my worldview. <laughs> but I would love to make this a requirement. Anyway, that's it. That's a my law. happy thought. Make it a law. Yeah. Okay, you guys. That's it. Um, We have some really cool guests coming up. And please consider partnering with us on Patreon. Mm-hmm. You can go to patreon.com slash sheologians. Give us the cost of a cup of coffee a month, an expensive cup of coffee, you know, like a $5 one. Right. Or a $6 one. Or you can also go on sheologians.com. Or you can go to sheologians.com. You can do recurring or one time. Yeah, man. Keep the mics on. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll see you next week. See ya.